Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. In the world, you are to be the Gorilla Economist coming to you live on this edition, a special edition we have with us. The man of the hour, he needs no introduction. Many of you have been asking for him. Well, he is back. He is back, and he is betrothed. He's no longer one man, but he is two as one. It's one and only <laughs> London Paul. <laughs> the newly minted, the newly married London Paul is back, folks. So congratulations to Paul and his new wife. Um, wish you guys all the best, especially in, in terms of all the craziness going on in the world. Uh, we're happy for you guys. We're in the Rogue family cheering you guys on. And also, folks, um, check out Paul's website, SeriousReport.com, TheSeriousReport.com. The links will be in the description box. Paul, is this still less than a price of a frappe lappe at, at Starbucks? Yeah, yeah. We're, we, we're, we're bucking the trend. We're kind of, I don't know whether it's deflationary or what it is now. But no, we've never put the price up, ever. So For still... $4.75, for less than a price of a soy latte frappe lappe over at Starbucks, you can get... Daily briefings from London Paul himself over at the Series, series Report. Sign up for their special service. Make that happen. Folks, right now, with all the things that are happening in the world, you need as good quality intel as possible. Good quality intel helps you to make the best possible decision, decisions for yourself, your finances, and your family. And with that being said, London Paul, welcome back. Where do you want to begin? Well, first off, thank you for your very kind thoughts, and uh, well, hello to everyone. Yeah, we we we're living well, ever increasingly in in unprecedented times, and I suppose we we have to discuss Ukraine. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's an ongoing saga since 2014, and last September the US started flexing their muscles. I mean, we've had in the media for, for 2016. There's 100,000. It was always 100,000 Russian troops on the border yeah. threatening to invade. And and maybe 20, 30, 50 times it was in the media. Sure. But then last September, the U.S. started making a big deal about it. And initially, Ukraine, Zelensky said, no, this is not happening. It's just not happening. Sorry, no way. The European Union didn't believe it, but they kept on and on about it. And uh, so it was a big deal, and it was, you know, okay, yeah, they have subsequently invaded, but that's an enormous story as to why that's happened. And when they started really pushing this point for me, it was, okay, look, this thing, they've had this impasse for eight years. Okay, go back, just brief history, as brief as we can. Obviously, there was the Maidan, Yanukovych was overthrown. Not a nice guy, but he was democratically elected in Ukraine. And the reason he was overthrown by the U.S. was because, A, he didn't want to be part of NATO. B, he kind of had an idea of joining the European Union that said, no, I'm not doing it. And then he kind of said, well, actually, I'd like to have closer ties with Russia. Well, that was, sorry, that's not acceptable to the, uh, what I now refer to as the deranged naked emperor meaning the United States. And on that basis, he was gone. And then we had the Maidan. And uh, 
And then we have this long protracted war, civil war, which kind of really ignited in 2014-15 in Donbass. So Donbass effectively was split in half. There's a contact line between the so-called Russian separatists and the Ukrainians on the other side. And it kind of really was quite heated 2014-15. And then it kind of went quiet. Obviously, there were still problems, and but not to the extent that obviously subsequently flood up early, not January this year. And and on that basis, my question, when the US really started to push this, okay, why are they doing this? What What is their real motivation? Because they've had years of not really getting involved. I mean, we had all the debacle with the Minsk agreements and, and then, the, then Merkel and Macron and the Russians said, okay, yeah, implementing full signed off. And then obviously Kiev kept being told, don't sign it. Because the Americans didn't want it to be signed. Right. Because then it would have completely decapitated their ambitions for, even though they're denying they have any ambitions for Ukraine, but then who believes the United States at the best of times? So sure. we then had the situation where, for me, it was an indicative of the fact that the US kind of empire was, it was in serious trouble. We know it's been in serious decline for a long time. I mean, just going back very briefly, there was the failed color revolution in Belarus. They failed in Kazakhstan. I mean, the desperation was, let's try another color revolution to put pressure on Russia. And it was all dealt with in about four days when the Russians went in in the CSTO and they cleared up the problem and it was gone. Yeah. I mean, so it was being immense amount of pressure being put on the US, for, uh, on Russia, sorry, with regards to those two instances. So it wasn't out of the ordinary to, to to suspect that they would go back to to Ukraine. Rather like, are they now going to dare go back to stoking tensions with China and Taiwan? Remains to be seen. But we obviously subsequently got to the end of last year. And then the Russians played a very clever hand by going to the Americans, knowing the Americans would never sign up for them. We want security assurances. So in essence, they said, here's the assurances. A, Ukraine is never part of NATO. B, you're not going to put missiles in uh, in Ukraine. You're not going to have U.S. bases, U.S. personnel. That, that's the, that is our red line. And the U.S., of course, there was all this to and froing, and, and there was never going to be an agreement. The U.S. were kind of doing what the U.S. do and didn't even answer the questions. And yes, the Russians were did have a lot of exercises. They were on, they they weren't planning to invade, uh, contrary to to the conventional wisdom of the U.S. But of course, there's always crossing the red line moment. Right. And we all, for me, I always said there's a couple of red lines. They were starting to build up forces on the contact line in Donbass and. And the West was giving them a lot of not just so-called defensive weapons, but offensive weapons. And the point was that if you if if you launch a major offensive in Donbass, then that's a red line, uh, without any shadow of doubt. And and because the idea of joining NATO is not going to happen this year, or the US putting personnel, even though of course there's mercenaries and some trainers in inverted commas in Ukraine, but it's not proper U.S. forces. They're not going to put bases there. So the principal one would be the Donbass, or, as it turned out, 
a few other reasons why they would subsequently became the case. Recall the US were always, for, for a period of time this year, accusing the Russians that they'll launch a, a chemical weapons uh, false flag attack. Now, we've had all this crap with, with Assad, as we remember, in Syria. As soon as they said that, you were going, okay, they're going to try a chemical weapons attack themselves and frame uh, Russia. So that was something that was in Russia's mind because, and we'll come to this in a minute, the reasons why. So what subsequently happened and what really was the red line that tipped Russia over the edge was when Zelensky, and there was quite a lot of people in the West shooting their mouths off and, and saying absolutely ridiculous things in recent weeks, but they had the Munich Security Conference. And he basically came out of that going, likely talking about, well, having nuclear weapons in, in Ukraine. And that was the red line moment where for, for the Russians, right, right, we know where this is going and we're going in. And we'll talk a bit about the war and how the Western media's the nonsensical portrayal of that. But it wasn't solely, you know, the, the issue of the nuclear weapons. They obviously needed a kind of excuse to go in. Uh, on the basis of all these reasons. That they, so what a surprise. We, they then recognized Donbass as independent republics, Donetsk and Lugansk, and they signed an agreement. And the agreement had, was financial and military. And one of the clauses was if, if they tell us, you know, they need our assistance, we're going in. So as soon as they said, uh, we need your assistance, then invasion was coming. And it wasn't just going to be dealing with the Donbass situation because, ironically, they didn't actually make much of a move into Donbass compared to the moves they made <clears throat> in the rest of Ukraine. So coming from the north, heading, of course, down eventually to Kiev and also movements in, in the south, so Odessa and okay, surrounding Mariupol. Anyone who wants to look, just have a look at these names if you want to understand the geography of Ukraine. So... Here's the, here's the other points to this. What was one of the first things that the Russians did? They made a beeline for Chernobyl. Now, anyone who knows their history, there obviously there was a meltdown of, of reactor in Chernobyl in 1986. Right. There was an enormous uh, release of radioactive radioactive material, but it's now obviously it's completely unusable, and it's encased in concrete, and there's a metal shield around it. But here's the point. Why did they make a beeline for it? Because they seem to be under the impression, you know, what happens if somebody of a certain persuasion was to fire missiles at it? Well, and then accuse the Russians of doing this. Well, there's your, there's your false flag. The Russians did it. Oh, it might have been an accident, but look, there's a big radioactive cloud all over Europe again. And it would have been, you know, the devastating for Russia to be for that to be pinned on them. So oh, absolutely. they made yeah, they made a beeline there. And here's the interesting part. Who is guarding Chernobyl? There's Russian forces together with Ukrainian forces. They're both guarding. They're supposed to be enemies in a war. Hmm. But they're both guarding it because obviously they both have a common enemy. Well, that's interesting, Paul. What do you think that is? I mean, we know that a lot of the Ukrainian generals today and a lot of the Russian generals, they were both buddies in military college, you know, going back mm -hmm. several decades. Why do you think that is? Is there a faction within the Ukrainian military 
that is not on board with this hijacked coup uh, mole plant that's been based in their government. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're also aware of the fact that that the U.S. has got, got its own kind of mercenaries and whatever, and they're also deeply distrustful. And we haven't even got onto the far-right elements. That the, the West pretends there's no neo-Nazis there, and oh, there absolutely course. is. We've seen all, you know. So I think that that's regarded as being the common enemy. The other thing that's interesting is, and we don't know what's in them, and then we're not getting into conspiracy. There's also conspiracy theories about what these bio labs are in Ukraine, but they're True. all over Ukraine. Right. What did the Russians do? Wiped out at least 13 of them. Destroyed them. They're all underground, so yeah. no doubt. I know I'm not an expert on in military technology, but they would have used a weapon that made sure there was no dispersal, so they've destroyed them all. That, I think, is another thing where we don't know. Well, maybe they do know what's in there, and they've, uh, they've destroyed them all. And maybe that's because something could have been pinned on them as well as a false flag. I think the other point is, is they've known about um, the atrocities that were going on in Donbass, the war crimes. But what was the first thing that they made, Putin made the point? We're going to demilitarize, denazify mm. Ukraine. And I think another part of the issue was, remember in the weeks before there was all these... Uh, claims of cyber attacks happening in Ukraine, like on Ministry of Defense uh, sites, etc. I wonder if another thing that changed the Russians' mind was they've got a whole bunch of intelligence about things that were going on. Because you and I know Ukraine's a failed state and there's some pretty ugly, nasty stuff going on. And I think that they also became aware of that. And that's why they strangely came out with this comment. Well, we know there's 5,000 people inside Ukraine who've committed war crimes and whatever else, and we want them to be adjudicated in a war tribunal. Where do they, what, did they suddenly produce this information, or was it something they've been sat on for years? If they'd known this years ago, I think they would have already responded and done something. But the fact they've done it now is because they've acquired this intelligence somehow. So I think these are all the factors why they've gone in and done what they've done. Now, this comes to, to the actual uh, strategy, military strategy, because the West sat there going, well, they're obviously failed. They've got bogged down because <laughs> it's taken them a few days to get here. And they're not they're not they're, they're not they haven't achieved their objectives, even though obviously all these people were pandemic experts. Now they're. Military experts, oh, yeah. and geopolitical experts. Well, well, Paul, as, when you go to college and you get a humanities degree or a law degree, that makes you an expert in science and engineering, military technology, geography, topography, geology, nuclear fission. I mean, I think the list goes on and on. That's the degree to get. It's almost as yes. good as a gender studies degree, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so, so obviously, here's the point with the military strategy, right? Unlike the United States, as we know, that, that will actually decide in its infinite wisdom to, to go into a country like it did in Iraq and scorch out the entire country for a month and then walk in like, you know, all cocky of them and go, hey, we're, we're here to liberate Iraq. Well, what's left of it? Yeah. With no resistance. And, and then it still took them weeks to get to Baghdad, even though there was nothing. Three and a half them weeks. Into, yep. Yeah. So here, let's put all this in context. Here's the difference. Russia went in 
Okay, people, some people agree, some people disagree. It's not the point. They've done what they've done. The big difference is they went in and went, right, okay. We can't go in and blitz the country, kill a whole bunch of civilians, wipe out all the infrastructure, and, and, and then claim we're doing it for the good of the Ukrainian people. Because, I mean, you, I mean no one's going to believe that. Even the most diehard Russian is, is going to go hang on a minute. You've just blitzed the country. You, you're not doing anything. But here's, by, by not blitzing the country, by not destroying the infrastructure, and by trying to minimize civilian casualties and also actually saying to the Ukrainian forces, look, drop your arms. We've got no quarrel with you. Our quarrel is with the Azov Battalion, the, the, the lunatic part, right? That's our beef. That's our problem. Don't fight us. We don't want to kill you. And a lot of them deserted, surrendered, dropped their arms and refused to fight. Not all of them, but I mean, there's in Donetsk and Lugansk now, there's about 40,000, 50,000 Ukrainian troops surrounded with nowhere to go. If they just drop their arms, nothing will happen to them. But anyway, whatever transpires, they'll transpire. So the point is, why do that? Because then when you, because they're not going to stay in Ukraine. Why, why would you stay in Ukraine? I don't know what, I mean, Ukraine will probably be split up most certainly into at oh, least yeah. two or three pieces. I mean, at least three minimum. There's an argument that if you draw a line through the Dnieper River, which kind of snakes its way from Kiev in the north down to um, the south and then feeds into to the Black Sea, then that's a logical conclusion that that might be one place. But anyway, setting aside how it splits up, if you go in and do the right things, then... A, the population is going to be far more responsive. Yeah, a lot of them are ethnic Russians and speak Russian and pro-Russian. But if you do the right things, then you've got a chance in the future of going, there's an alternative, and the West has screwed you over, etc. And we can rebuild this nation. But if you blitz it, rather like no one likes the US in Iraq, strangely enough, or other, or other ones of their kind of let's bulldoze an entire nation, this is a very clever strategy. So... What are they doing? And people were going, look, they're in retreat because their forces are moving out of Kiev. No. Reconnaissance missions, you go in, assess what's going on on the ground because, surprise, surprise, the far right are using people as human shields, etc. So you go in, understand. You, you're you not going in and pulling out. you just reconnaissance. You, you move out. You surround the city. They've done it in Kiev. They've done it in Kharkov. And they've done it in Mariupol. And Apart from that, there's really only two other cities, the east of the Dnieper, which is, God, they're really impossible to pronounce. Zapor, I'll just call it Zapor and Dnipro. <laughs> the rest of it's, uh, <laughs> you've got you've got HZs and ZHs and everything. Anyway, they're, they're the major cities. The only other major city is Lvov, right on the, in the west. So three of those five cities they've surrounded. They've opened humanitarian corridors and said to the people, leave. Just leave. Leave the city. We're not going to demolish the city. Just leave. Let us deal with this guerrilla warfare that the, that, uh, that the US is trying to put in place. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And and the reason they're trying to do it is because the West thinks it's going to be Russia's Afghanistan. That's, and they can cripple them. Then the sanctions will wreck the country. Putin will be gone. Russia will be gone. The, the multipolar world will be 
gone and that's their kind of mentality but putting that to one side because that's only their perspective they can go in do whatever needs to be done in in these cities move on to those other two cities in a pro and zapor and for me that's the end of the war because anything west of that they're all small places they're not big population sites they're not they're not going to present any any problem and to be honest does Russia really care what's in West Ukraine? The Ukrainian speakers, they're not pro-Russia. These, yeah, if, if the far right want to retreat into West Ukraine, they don't care what they do in West Ukraine. So there's an argument that that's how this plays out. And, and therefore, once they deal with the problems in these cities, the cities are intact, people can go back and live in these cities. And they'll remember what the Russians did. And the, yeah. They'll be responsive. Okay, it remains to be seen what happens in terms of what you can crudely call the balkanization of Ukraine. That's a whole separate issue. But the other point is, with with regards to what they're doing in these cities, is, is that the, the Azov uh, battalions are also not just going to have to deal with the Spatsnats, but also the Chechens are coming in. Now, Anyone who knows anything about Chechnya knows that the Chechen army are the, the most brutal army, not psychopaths or maniacs, but they're, they're very tough disciplined. As nails. Yeah, they're, they're tough hard, as yeah. nails. Yeah. And they'll just go in. I mean, they're, they're the masters of guerrilla warfare, and they'll send them in, and they'll just they'll blitz the place in terms of not blowing the place up, but whoever's left there and who wants <laughs> to fight and. Another point worth making is, and this uh, this was sold to the Ukrainian people as a, as a positive move. Look, we're trying to defend our country. What did Zelensky do? He basically went to Kiev, and they dished out ten to fifteen thousand citizens with AK forty sevens. Well, that's worked out very well. They're shooting each other in the streets and looting yes. each other. And yeah, they're scores. looting each other. Rival gangs are having shootouts at night and all <laughs> sorts of, you know, I mean, absolutely insane things that, that are going on. And the point is, as the Russians have said, if you're stood there with one of these weapons, then we're going to shoot you. If you haven't got a weapon, we're not going to shoot you. We're not interested. But if you're going to sit there and stand there and threaten us, then you're fair game. And and unfortunately, the Ukrainian people need to realize they're just cannon fodder. This was just to create this enormous problem inside cities and thinking, we, you know, it's going to be Stalingrad in inverted commas reenacted, not Stalingrad literally, but, you know, street-to-street combat fighting, etc. Because Russia's not going to go in and blitz it. So that, that was part of their plan to stymie them and stall them. So the idea that Russia's stalling, they're losing the war, is just simply not true. And the other point is they spent 24 hours not extending military operations because they were giving Zelensky a chance to, to be serious about some ceasefire and agreement where he just clearly wasn't uh, in any way, shape or form intending to do that. So they went, OK, we're resuming military operations. So all in all, when you think of the progress they've made, it's pretty significant. They've reached key sites. They've, they've knocked out biolabs. They've secured Chernobyl. They've dealt with huge amounts of the problems. They've surrounded three of the five major cities. And, and there are others like Odessa. Odessa just fell into line. So yep. really, there's 10 major cities in total, I think. 
if you there is already probably four that are dealt with or didn't need dealing with and then there's these three plus the other two and then there's obviously Lavov in the west but I don't think they'll be bothered about Lavov and they're not interested in what goes on in West Ukraine so at this point in time it remains to be seen how long the war lasts but the west as it seems now and okay maybe that might change but we can only talk about what we see at the moment their, their miscalculation is spectacular unsurprisingly because they under, only understand blitzing the world and not thinking, well, why is Russia not doing that? And the other point is they've hardly brought in probably 3 or 4% of their firepower. They, it's all very low-grade stuff because they don't want to wipe places out. And, uh, but the heavy artillery is coming in in terms of now for the cities. I think it was something like 60 kilometer of, of heavy artillery traveling into Kiev, 60 kilometers. So you can see how much artillery they're bringing in. So the idea is, if you don't want to die, just get out of the city. We are, we're not, our beef isn't with you if you're a Ukrainian. Um, our member of the army, just drop your arms. We don't have a beef with you. Our beef is denazifying the, this region and demilitarizing it. And that's their intention. So there's a lot of nonsense uh, being put on social media, more so from the Ukraine side. In fact, infinitely more so with all this happened. And then people go, no, actually, that was the footage from 2015 in Donbass. The other one was the great one. This, some of the footage was Syria. Yeah. Nothing oh, to course. do with you know, So it's all, well, we know what the propaganda is. Mm. But here's the West problem. They've been sold that the war's going to be over, Russia will be defeated, Putin will be removed. And, and the other cracking one is, well, we may have some economic pain from all these sanctions, but compared to Putin, it's not. <laughs> now, if that doesn't play out, they're in big trouble. Oh, my God. I, you know, the, the, you know it, 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 bug, it beguiles me, Paul, that just yesterday there was a whole mess of Americans that woke up to the reality of what SWIFT is, and now they think they're all experts on SWIFT. And they're telling me, Paul, a few of them I'm having uh, some uh, some smashing arguments with. And it's, it's, it's hilarious to me. I laugh at them because they're like, well, they're, you know, Swift. We knocked them off of Swift and uh, the rush is finished. I was like, OK, well, how much how much money, how much how many transactions does Swift do in a given day? Oh, I don't know. Seven trillion. Oh, yeah, that's a lot of money. There, there, there's no way the Russians, the Russians need us. The Russians need that more than we need them. I was like, OK, well, you know, China has an alternative to Swift. They do, yeah. It's called CIPS, right? Cross uh, the the um, and the, well, and it's I, kind of yeah, the Chinese interbank payments system. Exactly. And, I said, how, and how much yeah. does that do per day in transactions? I don't know what uh, five hundred million. How about close to twenty trillion a day? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. And there's there's an extremely important point about these sanctions that regarding right the whole SWIFT thing. First off. Europe's going, they're, they're, I mean, cherry picking isn't, it doesn't even come close. Well, we want your energy. We want your fertilizer. In fact, we want your commodities so you can keep selling us those. Yes. Okay. The other point regarding cutting their banks off from SWIFT, there, there is certain, certain problems with that from the West. And one point, I, can't, I wish I could remember who said this. They basically came out and go out, 
well, you know, we, you know, the energy considerations and the way, but we don't want to restrict, I don't know, let's just say uh, that you were in, in Russia. Well, we don't want to restrict someone sending their family some money. I mean, hang on, what are you talking about here? If you've got sanctions and you're sanctioning a bank, you're telling me that, that you know, I, I can send, um, send you some money. I mean, this completely contradicts the narrative that, of sanctioning banks, but even if they did cut them off from SWIFT, but only partially and when it suits them, what did Russia do? Because in 2014, the Americans telegraphed, even back then, of removing Russia from SWIFT. Ironically, one of the few sensible things Obama said was, don't do it because you'll cause de-dollarization and the Chinese and the Russians will be looking at an alternative. Well, what a surprise they, they were doing, dealing with an alternative. As soon as Russia, uh, Russia was sanctioned and the whole Maidan happened. But what Russia created was their own alternative to SWIFT called the SPFS. And we don't know to the extent we know the Eurasian Economic Union is connected to it. We know the Chinese are connected to it. The double eagle. Yeah, we don't know exactly. The other thing is there's lots of Russian banks connected to SIPs. Uh, and and also the other thing, of course, you can do if you have sympathetic banks somewhere in the world, because obviously SWIFT's just a messaging service. You don't transfer money, but effectively what it does is there's a whole bunch of instructions, and basically that means okay, we we'll just transfer this money, and this is how it works. It's just a messaging service. But here's the thing: all you need to do is find a sympathetic nation or a foreign bank. And you just put the transaction through with via there, and and the and the West wouldn't have a clue that the transaction was uh, was to do with Russia. So there are many ways to get round this issue of of the problems with SWIFT. The 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 other thing that was a bit of a killer and a stupid move from the US, and there's an interesting point here because we knew for a couple of weeks that Europe didn't want to to include Nord Stream two which we can come to in a minute. And they were very reluctant to put sanks, you know, exclude them from SWIFT. Then suddenly they all buckled. And then we found out the reason why they buckled, because because for some, well, not even a surprising reason, uh, Biden decided to run his mouth too and made the, the fatal mistake of telling the world, well, we told the Europeans there's two options, sanctions or World War Three. He actually came out and said that. So... It wasn't hard to deduce that they then said to Europe, well, there's two choices. You go for World War Three or sanctions. Well, I mean, let's be honest. If, if you're given those options, you're going to go with sanctions. I mean, it's not like there's a third option. No, we don't do anything. So that's why they're all bullied and controlled into, into putting these sanctions in place. But the fatal part as well was to then go with sanctioning the Russian central bank. This is unprecedented. And no one, the, even by the U.S.'s standards, this is unprecedented. Now, there was a lot. First off, they went, we've frozen all their assets. Then suddenly it was, no, we haven't frozen all them. We, we can't freeze stuff that's in Russia or China. And then, by the way, they've apparently been put squirreling uh, reserves in other locations we can't touch. And then it suddenly became, now it's, oh, we can freeze half of their assets. And they're making out the Russian central bank has dollars, which it doesn't. So it's probably not half, and it might not even be a quarter. We don't really know exactly what uh, what they have, or probably they don't have anything. 
But what it did is it set a precedent because, of course, Europe didn't want to go for World War Three. So now we're looking, there's this joint attack on Russia from the Europeans with the euro and with the Americans, effectively, with the dollar. So the rest of the world's looking at this going, hang on. You know, they might create a skirmish in my country or next door to my country or try and provoke my nation and then cut my central bank off. Well, I know we don't really want to hold euros or dollars anymore. Let's get rid of them. So they've actually, and also you know, Russia, China told the world all the time, or well, the world that we listen, these are the kind of things that can happen to you. And over the years, they've gradually believed it. Well, now they've had these sort of thermonuclear um, financial um, weapon shots at Russia and indirectly at them as, as a consequence of what might happen. They've gone, we need to get out of this. So it's accelerating the very process, and Obama was correct. The Russia-China financial system we spoke about 2015 uh, and said, and people went, no, that's rubbish. Well, where, well, then what did they do at the back end of 2021? They just casually came out and said, we're working on a financial system. When And when they say we're working on it, it means it already exists, and we know it exists because they Ironically, this is this is incredible. I got a message six years ago that they'd fully tested it and it was ready to roll. And the date was the 22nd of February, 2016. Mm -hmm. And when did the war start? The 22nd of February. Six years later, it's right. kind of, okay, maybe it means something, maybe it doesn't. But the point is that they... They have this system. The argument now is, okay, how much the world is going, we don't want to be in SWIFT anymore. We, in fact, we don't want to deal with euros. We don't want to deal with dollars because they may come and cripple us. You know, it might be the, the pincer movement right. because, you know, Europe, who's the, is the little attack chihuahua that uh, the United States has got, um, is, is going to come for us somewhere else. And, and it's a distinct possibility that, from the perspective of other nations, that could happen. So they're accelerating the demise of the dollar. They are accelerating the adoption of an alternative financial system and how it all hangs together. And obviously, I kind of made a tweet which said, you know, if, if Russia wanted to, and they're not going to at this point, and we'll explain why, but for argument's sake, they're, they're, the ruble's under attack. Um they may look at an option that says, well, okay, uh, at some point in the future, we're going to back our currency with gold. So then there's stability in their currency and the dollar's toast. I mean, and so when people say the demise of the dollar's years off, it would, I mean, that's a pretty okay, inflammatory statement to make, but yeah. in the context of where we are, but that's how easy the dollar would be toast, irrespective of what the problems the dollar has. But Okay, they're not going to do it at the moment because they're still fighting a war in Ukraine. They're obviously having to manage their own financial system and monetary policy and, and, and secure their banking system and their economy. And, of course, they, you know, there's the issue, okay, oh, when, when can we actually legitimately launch another financial system? Because it's a one-off. You've got to get this right because if you're going to drag half the world into it, it better work correctly, even though you've tested it. So... In essence, that's kind of where we are. Okay, in military terms, there's, there's ongoing developments every single day. But here's the problem for the U.S. 
they browbeat and, and really forced Europe into this mess. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to. Uh, and Germany capitulated on Nord Stream 2. Well, as we said, I mean, what's the, the, what did the Xi and Putin, they signed effectively uh, a whole bunch of energy deals when you went to the Winter Olympics. They've announced only the last couple of days that they're doing the work now from Mongolia to hook into power of Siberia too. They've just done a massive energy deal, the yeah, Russians with Pakistan. And that, Siberia, so, that Siberia 2 Mongolia deal effectively replaces the amount of metric tons of gas that Nord Stream 2 was going to take. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, they're already going, we don't really care. And uh, there's a bit of an interesting development. I don't know whether it we'll have to see if it actually comes to pass, but Nord Stream 2 looks like they've fired everyone and might go into insolvency. That's the parent company of Nord Stream 2. Now, that implies to me if that is the case, and we'll, we'll have to see if it, it's confirmed, but that's effectively the Russians going, we don't care what you think, Nord Stream 2 is never going live. So we don't, because we don't care anymore. We're going to sell this energy because obviously the, uh, it come would come from, from Ar- the Arctic. We'll just hook it into some other pipeline and we'll sell it to the Pakistanis or the Chinese or Southeast Asia, because you know what? That's the big vertical growth center. That's where the demand for energy is going to be. And you know what? Europe, we don't really care. I mean, you know, so, I mean, and the stupidity, and we know this, the hike in energy prices in Europe, if they just switched on Nord Stream 2, which they could just sign a bit of paper and switch it on, the cost of energy would collapse in Europe. Now, we all understand quite clearly that energy is the lifeblood of a nation. So if you've got high hike in and an enormous hike in energy costs, everything in your manufacturing base, your service sector, everything becomes significantly more expensive in an inflation extent. So I mean that's the kind of level of brain deadness that goes on in the in the corridors of the European Union. But here's the problem. They were sold this thing, look, yeah, you might have to have a bit of short term pain, a bit of inflation. You know, the usual, it's a bit of inflation, it's transitory, and of course inflation is not transitory and it's not a little bit of pain. So they bought this idea because Putin's going to cave in, the war, he'll get bogged down, we'll suffocate him in a war, but we'll collapse the Russian economy and Putin will be gone and we'll all be laughing and then... Uh, well, let's not talk about how we're going to to uh, sort the energy problem out. But don't worry, we're going to ship all this LNG. But that, it's fifty percent more in cost. But you, you'll you'll find a way to absorb this 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 huge hike in energy costs. Because I mean, you haven't got inflation, have you? And all the financial and economic problems that exist in the European Union. So here's the problem, and this is. Europe's never been more galvanized behind uh, the United States. I mean, the U.S. administration's high-fiving itself everywhere, going, well, Trump screwed up our relationship with Europe, but we're, it's all back on track. We're all best of friends now because we've, you know, we're going to stick it to the Russians. Yeah. Well, if this doesn't pan out, Russia wins the war, Russia's economy doesn't collapse, and Putin stays in office, <laughs> and then Europe capitulates, uh, then they're going to turn around and go to the Americans. Hang on. Uh, this didn't work out. You sold us a promise and it's blown up in our face. Mm. And at that point, the relationship between Europe and the United States will collapse. And 
And then, obviously, what's the problem? There's all the financial problems and all the things we've discussed in the past. But if Europe's in serious trouble because the euro collapses, the European Central Bank, and we've noticed in the last couple of days, it's the, you know, yesterday and today, that the major European banks, their share price is getting hammered 6 7% yesterday. Yeah. Same today, not not just the obvious ones like Deutsche Bank, Commerce Bank, but BNP and Societe Generale and all the rest of them. So there's something not right. Europe's nervous, and it's probably because no one actually went, hang on, if we put these sanctions in place, what's the real implication for, for European banks? So there's clearly nervousness. But let's just say, and we don't know precisely when, but the euro collapses, the European Central Bank and, the, and, and all the European banks and the financial system. And Europe's stuffed. And its relationships not great with the Americans, to put it politely. And they need resources and they need financial uh, investment in, in Europe. Who are they going to have to go to? Oh, only the Russians for the resources and the Chinese for, for investment to, right. to try and you know, reignite the continent. Well, what are they, how are they going to go to the Russians? Yeah, look, we're really sorry we tried to financially destroy. I mean, that was it. The Bruno Le Maire came out today and went, we're looking to completely economically and financially destroy Russia. So wonderful. I mean, but apparently he later backtracked. I don't know how he backtracked from that statement, but you come out with those kind of statements now. Yeah. Someone is going to, what, what's uh, Lavrov or Putin going to say to Lamert? Do you remember when you told us you were going to destroy us? Well, why mm. should we help you? Give us a reason. And they may, and this is just total speculation, but let's just say Europe's in this position and they want the resources. They actually want the energy back on or whatever they want, and they need some financial input. So okay, China is a slightly different issue because they haven't completely pissed off the Chinese. But they go to, to the Russian, and the Russian might go, hmm, we'll give you this, but here's, there's a few criteria why you have to agree. Rather like telling the Ukrainians you need a neutral status nation, they may go, here's the deal. We'll help you, but do you know that organization called NATO? You're going to leave it, and you're going to agree to our conditions, otherwise we won't help you. Now, I'm not saying that will happen, but... It's not beyond the bounds of possibility that that's something that may transpire in the future when negotiations have to be had. And they'll go, okay, we'll forgive and forget, but you disband NATO. Yeah. You form your own European army. And effectively, they can then kick any influence of the Americans out of the European continent, even if by then Europe's so angry with the Americans because they'll accuse America of wrecking their economy and financial system, even though, Draghi and Lagarde did all that prior to that. They were. Oh yeah, I mean, because... the, um, it's funny because you know, there's you and Paul. We both know there's no honor among thieves, right? And so, it, 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 look, you said it best. Draghi and Lagarde and the rest of the plutocrats have destroyed the European econo economy. They just wrecked the markets, wrecked it all. Now, if they can have, if there's a perfect fall guy, a perfect pretext to blame this Europe coming European collapse on somebody. America would be it. It's perfect. And then the Americans will, will reiterate and say, no, we didn't do anything. It was you guys. They're going to start throwing each other under the bus. They're going to eat each other, Paul. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's the point they're going to. Yeah, most certainly. And 
And this is the miscalculation, really, from from the United States. They, it's the hubris again. Where I mean, they I think they literally thought that if they put these sanctions, that Russia would have already collapsed. I mean, and here's the weird part because they're now literally across Europe and the US and. They're literally almost like maniacs. They're going, what else can we cripple um, Russia with? And it can, is there anything we can sanction them with? I mean, they're even like getting people in the West who've got no affiliation. They've lived in, in the West for 20 years, going, seize their assets, they're Russian. I mean, it's just absolute desperation. And sure. the desperation is because they know in reality that Putin isn't losing the war. They starting to go, hang on, do these sanctions even work? Because, I mean, and the point is with regards to these sanctions, they telegraphed it because they sanctioned Russia in 2014. They tried to collapse Russia there. They tried to drag them into a long protracted war over Donbass. It's the same MO repeating itself eight years later. Yeah, this time we really will destroy him when he goes into Ukraine. And we will destroy the financial system and we'll get rid of Putin. And they're, they're just repeating the same exercise they did eight years ago. And But then the world's a very different place now because when they put sanctions in 2014, there wasn't the risk of this blowback. The risk of sanctions now is this ginormous blowback. And here's one small example where Russians have pretty much not said anything. They... They've kind of, yeah, well, you know, we won't let British and European planes in Russian airspace, just very small, insignificant things. But they did say we've assessed the weakness of the Western economies and financial system. Well, I mean, how big is that weakness? We know it's huge. And we will make, you know, asymmetric sanctions. But yet they haven't done anything. But they came out with an interesting comment yesterday where they said, anyone who's responsible for, for, transiting military hardware into mm -hmm. Ukraine, we, which we know the Western nations have been doing this. I mean, right now we have uh, yeah. 20,000 uh, mercenaries forming in the Polish border. Uh, all <laughs> of them are rebranded uh, Azov, Yuki brigades mixed along with ISIS fighters uh, and, and, uh, and uh, components from uh, their operations in Syria. And they're going to call it as Ukrainians coming back from... Um, uh, or French for uh, yeah, Ukrainians coming back from the French Foreign Legion and Ukrainians coming back from Afghan operations, and they're all of a sudden amassed in Poland. Yeah, this is the kind of yeah. nonsense they're trying to pull, Paul. And also all the military hardware and yeah. you know financing the far right lunatics in uh, Ukraine. But here's the point: Russia said when they transit or wherever they're coming from, we are going to hold you responsible. Sure. What that effectively could mean. If Germany did it, they'd say to Germany, we're holding you responsible. We're going to sanction you now. And the sanction is, we'll cut your energy off. I'm not yeah. saying that's what they'll do. But they let now, interestingly, there was a big story doing the rounds yesterday. Because obviously, Ukrainians can't fly Western fighters. And that's totally reasonable. Because they're not used to them. But, I mean, this is the hilarious part. Poland, Slovakia, and Bulgaria have MiGs, MiG-29. I mean, right. they've got Russian fighters. So they went, they were all, there was this big hype, oh, they're all going to you know, give all these MiGs to, um, to uh, Ukrainians. 
okay, forget how the hell they're going to get them in there because Russia has control over the skies now. But what was interesting is very quickly Bulgaria went, no, we're not. <laughs> Slovakia went, no, we're not. And today apparently Poland's gone, no, we're not. And do you know why I think it is? Because they've looked at what Russia said and if they go, right, we're providing NICs, and also we're not going to allow them to fly through Polish airspace into Ukraine or whatever. Mm-hmm. They've looked at Russia and gone, hang on, if we do this, Russia's going to hold us responsible. What the hell does that mean? What does that mean that they're going to hold us responsible? That's And that's frightening because re- holding someone responsible and what you intend doing but not telling them obviously yeah. scared them enough to walk away. Now, as we know, the United States might strong arm them again and force them to try and do it. But the fact they backed off so rapidly proves that they're extremely nervous and they don't want direct confrontation with Russia. So, and it is true, Russia, who knows, Russia could then say, I don't know what, what raw you know, commodities, raw materials they export to Poland. But if Poland does, they go, we're sanctioning you uh, and uh, we're not going to provide you these commodities or whatever relations we have with you. We're going to cut you off in totality. We're sanctioning you on the basis that you were responsible because you allowed these aircraft to be shipped or flown or however they're going to do it to from Poland to, to Ukraine somewhere. So it's very obvious there's all these dynamics playing out currently. But, I mean... The other thing, this this is hilarious. It's it's tragic, but it's hilarious. And it just typifies American policy. Because there was all this, we need to have a no-fly zone over Ukraine. Yeah. Until someone pointed out to the West, well, here's the problem with that. If you shoot down as a NATO nation a Russian aircraft, that's a declaration of war. You know, that's a precursor to World War Three. Okay, we can't do that. Well, at least someone had a brain cell in their head to realize that. But this is the hilarious part. They actually asked the Russians, look, we don't want, okay, we won't have a no-fly zone, but how about a compromise? You allow us to fly in military hardware that we want to use to attack you, but you won't attack us. I mean, what? so hello, yeah, you can bring all this hardware in that you're going to try and kill us with later on. But we'll forgive you. We'll just let you fly it in, and, and maybe we'll have a shootout later on. And the Americans were deadly serious that the Russians would, would agree to that. I, was, I, was like, I mean, that's like me going, well, I'm just going to come into your house, uh, CJ. Uh, sorry, not CJ. And I'm, I'm going to get this gun. But I, You're going to let me in the house with the gun. You won't shoot me straight away. And But maybe in an hour, I'm just going to come downstairs and try and kill you with it. <laughs> what are you going to say to me? Don't be ridiculous. But that's the kind of uh, the level of of madness that, that is now afflicting uh, Western policy. And another example was when Russia went on this, uh, said we're putting maximum uh, military uh, nuclear deterrence uh, things in place. And the West was going, oh, he's bluffing. And then the Russians came out, well, actually, this... <laughs> They said this is in response to, to comments made by by uh, Western uh, you know, leaders or Western foreign ministers or whatever. They said, we're not going to mention names, but it's the UK's foreign secretary, which basically meant Liz Truss. So they, yeah. they effectively uh, say... Another genius over there. Yeah. 
we're putting these measures in place because because of ridiculous comments, and they have made some high octane comments. And another classic one was von der Leyen, who 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 came out apparently she had a conversation with uh, with Zelensky, and then she's going, "We're supporting Ukraine joining the European Union," and oh, apparently. Yeah. The rest of the European Union leaders were, hang on, we, you never talked to us about this. What the hell's this all about? Mm. But here's the other thing for Zelensky. This is a, a big kicker. And he's obviously on, you know, I don't know what, what, how, what it means. He probably, but he's deemed damaged goods because there's quite a few neocons and Langley types who've come out making disparaging comments. So he's obviously damaged goods. He's deemed as a failure. So, I know I'm not going to speculate on what that means, but you know, if you're deemed a failure in the eyes of the United States, well, is there going to be another Maidan soon to get rid of uh, Zelensky, or is in the fallout of everything that's happened in Ukraine? They'll he's, probably kill him. I mean, his security team, which are a bunch of CIA contractors through uh, Blackwater Academy. Um, well, yes, there is that as well. Yeah, they'll probably kill him. He, he, he's a hostage. He, he can't retreat. He can't negotiate. Anything he does, he'll be he'll be killed, and his wife and kids will be killed. That's exactly what they'll do. Then they'll blame the Russians. It was a shootout. We try to protect him as best we can, uh, but the Russian spetsnaz came in and overwhelmed us. They they threw a, a flashbang grenade and shot them all dead, just like the uh, just like uh, the Americans killed Bin Laden. That's exactly what they'll say. Yeah, no, I absolutely, uh, I totally agree that that's almost certainly well, not almost it's certainly a likely outcome. But but the whole thing's just. An absolute farce. You've got these European leaders coming out. I mean, you know, Russia's a nuclear power, and and what's been very apparent is none of these uh, European nations they they all think Putin's bluffing. No, no, no it's serious. just a bluff. You know, he's he's never going to have World War Three. Well, the point is, is don't push your luck, don't because. And people don't want to believe this, and it doesn't matter whether you people believe it or don't believe it. Russia's military superiority is a huge problem for the West, and we don't want to find out why they have that military superiority. But they think, oh, he's just leveraging the situation. He's trying to, you know, well, don't push it to the point where you might find out he's not leveraging and he's, and he's serious about this. And it's all this miscalculation and and making politicians making statements that, you know, the sackable offences. I mean, you don't antagonise a nuclear power and and, and and goad them or try and you know, make out outrageous statements about them and think there are no consequences. But Paul, the, these I mean, people think that Russia is a backward, unsophisticated country. These people are so stupid. They literally believe the hubris that Russia's economy is in shambles, that their economy is the size of New York City, all kinds of lies and bullshit you can concoct. And then on top of that, they believe in their own superiority and hubris. They absolutely sold on their superiority. It's a dangerous combination. This is what's happening with the West. It's unbelievable. Yeah, do you know, I, I've made this point recently in a, in a few contexts where I've said the average, and it's British person, European, American, Still thinks that Russia, it, it's the, they actually in their head, it's the 1980s when the yes. US was the sort of dominant superpower, when its economy hadn't been totally trashed and 
and its financial system was okay and and he was doing all right you know he was actually was the dominant nation and they in the, they also think that russia's still the 1980s they think it's communist they think their military is useless their economy is useless the financial systems held together with 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 rubber bands or something and the whole nation's this failed state and they also think that china is like those iconic images of Chinese people working in rice fields. And that's what that's what China is, that's what Russia is, that's what America is. Well, of course, the United States is on this terminal decline path. And China and Russia are ascendant nations. I mean, they couldn't be further wrong. But the other problem is, is all this kind of propaganda nonsense in the Western media is fueling people's belief in something that's not reality. And do you know what? There's a lot of time when you think, are these politicians knowing knowing they're just you know bullshitting? And do you know the truth is, I don't think they do. I think they're so brainwashed and and, and conditioned, like the vast bulk of Western populations, that they actually think Russia and China are these nations. Yeah. That America and the West is this dominant thing. And and of course, the risk is it causes enormous miscalculation. It's giving an awful lot of ridiculous confidence in governments. Uh, I don't think so much the military, but, uh, but but the point is, and also the people, and and therefore they're trying to stoke all this huge anti-Russian sentiment. I mean, everything's everything's about you know hate. It's almost like back to those old days of better dead than red kind of mentality. I mean, it's like McCarthy's blushing with embarrassment because we're kind of going back to that and they've stoked all this up in a matter of weeks and of course all the usual garbage about what russia's apparently doing include apparently cluster bombs and bombing schools you know just the usual kind of nonsense that all of which are hallmarks of azov and we know that azov has has, uh, bombed school 50 in the dunbas area uh killing teachers killing students that's documented the pictures to prove it the whole nine yards it's it's reprehensible but we have about three minutes left so uh Go ahead and state what you could wrap up, and uh, we have our next program up. But go ahead, Paul. We have about three minutes. Just want to give yeah, well, time. I mean, obviously, does we could talk for weeks about this. But oh, I mean, you're, we've you're just coming l- back on, my friend, without a doubt. Yeah, we've we've just laid a few ideas out and some broad-based things about what's going on currently in Ukraine. Yeah. I mean, uh, my, uh, my the only thing I would say is, well, for obvious reasons, pay no attention to mainstream media. But also, just don't pay much attention to the alt media. I mean, because whether it's people on the pro-Ukrainian side or maybe pro-Russian, just ignore it. Just look at what's actually happening, and, and and in reality, and just ignore the rest of it because it's a whole bunch of noise, and people are getting all manner of ideas about what's happening or not happening. And and that's the only way. I mean, this is going to last as long as it lasts is it going to last for a long time no i don't think so i don't think this war is going to be going on for i mean the americans who are trying to infer russia will be bogged down for years in this it's absolute garbage yeah i mean it's is it months yeah it could be quicker i don't know i don't i'm not a military person in terms of tactics we we can broadly understand what the russians are doing but it's guerrilla warfare in these cities so you know hand-to-hand combat is brutal, it's uncompromising, it's not going to be Stalingrad for sure in any way, shape, or form. But I mean, the world, you know, technologically and militarily, the world's a very different place now. But it's that kind of 
let's just try and get the Russians bogged down in something. So when the war's over, which it will be, and and then we start to see the ramifications, then the expectation is that the Russian economy should survive. It's going to be pretty hard, no doubt about it, but they've they've got enough reserves that even though the West thinks they've, they've stolen it all. And the other thing is they've always got the backstop of China. Yeah. So... To, yeah. to help them. So I guess we'll just park it as that and, uh, for now. Yes. We'll definitely pick it back up. Paul, I'd love to have you back on uh, same time next week. That'll be awesome if you're available. Um, I'll see how we go. It's gone. Things have gone a bit mental. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I never thought I could believe saying this, but it took a war for us to suddenly be <laughs> noticed. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, not, not, not noticed, but suddenly like everything's, I mean, we kind of have have gone I mean just in a social media set. Yeah. We're nearly good. at ten thousand followers. I mean it's it's kind of gone up from eight thousand in about two weeks. Yeah. yeah or less than two weeks. Yeah. And weirdly we've had a load of subscribers come back going you know, which obviously they've kind of looked at what we've said and, and seen a change in in what's happening and you know and but it is weird that it took a war for I think people to well, some people to go, hang on, they've always been saying these things. And we always said if you stick consistently, you don't flip-flop all over the place. If you, you believe what's happening and you're consistent, then eventually that consistency will be born out. And, Absolutely. And I think that's where we're at now. So, But yeah. hopefully the war ends yesterday because all wars are abhorrent. But, but, um, and, you know, I've had people saying, you're, I'm not defending a war. I don't want anyone to die. Uh, but but at the end of the day, Russia did what it did for, in their eyes, legitimate reasons, and it's hard to argue against it. But that's not a justification that war should happen. But unfortunately, in history, wars do, and maybe in five, ten years, we'll look back at this and realize why it's happened. But hopefully it ends sooner rather than later with as little loss of life as possible. Agreed wholeheartedly. Folks, London Paul, the man, the myth, the legend himself. You can catch him over at theseriousreport.com. Theseriousreport.com for less than a frappe lampe iced frappuccino. You can get Paul daily stream and synopsis and briefings of what is going on around the world that you need to be paying attention to. Seriousreport.com. Go there, sign up, join Paul's service. And with that being said, we're over and out. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure.